Hello, and welcome to Fintech Insider Insights. I'm Kate Moody, Customer Strategy Director at 11FS. In today's episode, we're asking, can financial services change how people think about money? The way all of us use our money is incredibly complicated and often pretty squiggly. Spend, save, invest, borrow, lend, pay off, an account here for one thing, another service here offering something else. The user journeys in financial services are all over the shop. So is it the responsibility of financial services to smooth out that journey and make it more simple and effective for consumers? And is the place of banks, fintechs and others to help change how users prioritise and budget? If so, how would we go about it? In this show, we've put together a panel of amazing experts to discuss what the status quo for financial services looks like right now, how we can build more intuitive options, and what could the future look like for financial services? We will discuss all this and more in today's show. But first, a few brief messages. Don't go anywhere. Keeping up with all the noise and news from the world of financial services isn't easy. It's easy to get lost in buzzwords, jargon, and industry speak. So sometimes you just need a quick human rundown of the biggest stories. Well, you are in luck. Bite-sized is our very own weekly newsletter that takes the biggest news stories from financial services and tells you exactly what's happening, why it matters, and what comes next. Bitesize goes out every Friday at 11am, so you can enjoy it with a coffee as you wrap up your week. Stay up to speed with the fast-moving world of financial services and subscribe today at 11fs.com forward slash newsletters. That's 11fs.com forward slash newsletters. Let's get started. As always, I'm joined by a panel of outstanding guests who can shed some light on this question. First of all, it's great to be joined by Jason Bates, co-founder at LMFS. Thanks for being here, Jason. Um, can you give our newer listeners a reintroduction to you and your role at LMFS, please? Hey there. Yeah. So I'm a deputy CEO here. I work a lot on the uh, the new product and proposition development that we do. I previously co-founded Starling and Monzo back in the day and have probably spent now best part of eight or nine years working for various banks and incumbents around the world, launching new propositions in Hong Kong, the US, Europe, Middle East, you name it. Awesome. Thanks very much. And we have a very exciting FinTech Insider debut for Stephen Bow, Director of Digital Experience and Innovation at Nationwide. Welcome, Stephen. Great to have you with us. What should our audience know about you and your role at Nationwide, please? Hey, Kate. Um, great to be here. Really looking forward to the conversation today. So yeah, I'm the Director of Digital Experience and Innovation at Nationwide. Um, I've been there for about 12 months, actually. It's my one-year anniversary yesterday. Woohoo! I'm basically responsible for our digital banking channels, our internet banking, our mobile app. But I also look after our Future Ventures team, who leads some of our like, Horizon 2, Horizon 3 digital innovation work and a collaboration with a lot of the fintechs. So cue avalanche of DMs into my LinkedIn inbox, I suspect, after, after saying that. Um, maybe a couple of things about Nationwide. So obviously, uh, like a household name in UK financial services, um, a story going back about 140 years, the world's biggest mutual. But we actually consider ourselves a bit of a like a challenger to the status quo, trying to offer a different option to the incumbents. The traditional banks are kind of beholden to that kind of quarterly like profit announcement, the drumbeat of like, giving 
shareholder returns, and um, whereas nationwide it's explicitly written into our constitution that we have to be re- we have to be there for our um, the benefit of our customers. And so I think it's been that's been something that's been quite difficult to make tangible historically. But with our most recent uh, annual results, we we launched a nationwide fairer share where we diverted a, a significant amount of our profits into the hands of our most engaged customers, £100 into their accounts. And that's something that we're incredibly proud of. And I think hopefully it makes some of those customers think differently about their money. Yeah, no, it's been it's been ever in the UK. So um, and definitely one for our international listeners to check out as well. So really looking forward to hearing your perspective. And, and thanks very much for joining us. And finally, it's a welcome return to Fintech Insider for Rajan Lakhani, Head of Public Relations at Plum. Welcome to the podcast, Rajan. Um, what shall our listeners know about you and Plum if, if they've not come across you already? Hey, everyone. And yeah, thanks for having me back. Uh, Plum is a smart money app that helps people to manage their money, whether it's saving, investing, budgeting, or managing their spending. What's different about Plum is we help people holistically uh, manage their money, but also we help them do it through automation and AI. And I guess we might be talking about AI later on in the podcast as well. As you said, I head up PR um, and comms for Plum. And uh, similarly to Stephen, actually, it's my one year anniversary uh, this week at Plum and been in the fintech industry for almost two years. Oh, my days. We should have had cake or something. I feel I feel bad now. Welcome, welcome congrats <laughs> to you both. So yeah, anyway, um, thank you all for joining. Super excited to get all your perspectives. So, so let's dive in. To kick things off, I'd like to look at, I suppose, how we got to the point that we're at today. So I suppose, Jason, I'll, I'll throw the big question to you. First of all, you know, how do people think about their money from your perspective? I guess it's a story of two halves. There's how we're taught to think about our money by the banks, you know, ultimately, and that's through financial products. You have a current account, you have a credit card, you have a mortgage. These are all financial instruments that are manufactured by some bank somewhere and then distributed, as, as they would say, through a variety of channels, through the through letters, through the branch, through the digital app. And so, to a certain extent, we've been taught how to think about money in a formal way by what the financial product is behind it. But of course, then there's the reality, the kind of day-to-day job of I get paid a salary, it goes into an account. Actually, I split a good portion of that off into my Monzo card, and that's my fund money. I put some into savings, I pay some debts, mortgage. And so there's that whole dance, both at a day-to-day, a month-to-month, and a year-to-year level, um, where I use a variety of people and providers and little personal hacks. So in the work we've done at 11FS, sort of working on propositions, you know, we've We've interviewed hundreds of people and they have the most bizarre and idiosyncratic ways of trying to to make all of that work. And so, yeah, there really are two levels to this. There are the financial products we use and piece together in weird ways. And then there are the ways we actually do it to try and make money work in our life. Absolutely. Stephen, obviously, you know, Jason's referred to like the products and, and instruments that banks offer, you know, nationwide, obviously has most of those, if not all of them, on, on their books. You know, how difficult can it be when you have that broad an offering to connect customers from, from one service to another? Yes, yeah, so, I mean, I think as an industry, we've made huge steps towards digitising banking. So I think today you can go online, you can make most transactions that you need to to manage your money. The experience associated with an individual service request is pretty slick. I think you can expect in many cases to receive a pretty personalised service, even 
if that's through messaging or next best offer and things like that. You might even expect to be connected with a set of third-party solutions that kind of create tangential value. So I think, you know, we're all more connected to our money than ever before, and it's easier to manage. However, one of my reflections, and I've been abroad for like the last 15 years and recently returned, actually coming back to the UK, that whilst I can do transactionally what I need, actually managing my money around my life, it's as hard as ever. So I think our journey to really digital banking and banking that fits my life is kind of still um, in the early stages and we've got a long way to go on it. Rajan, what's what's your perspective? Where do you think we're at today? It's a challenging one um, when it comes to the different services available. I think ultimately it comes down to what people are, are aware of um, and they might be used to doing one particular um, type of financial services that they know and trust um, and have been doing for some time, whether that's, you know, saving. Um, and then they, because they've become so used to that and, and have, have, have learned to trust that, then they, they stick with that. But actually, over the longer term, making their money work harder through investing is, is, is another option um, for them. So it's, it's I think the big challenge um, more generally is, is awareness and, and education and giving customers the insight that they need to be able to be able to make good decisions about how they manage the money and the different options um, that are that are available to them and I think this is where I think fintechs have made a a big difference in popularizing some of these um, different areas so we've seen over the last you know three years in particular how investing you know has changed and, and become a lot more popular and of course there were trends going on that encouraged that whether that was um, through lockdown and people having uh, more money and more time to dedicate um, into investing. Also, you know, th- those um, investment platforms were able to offer investing at a commission-free price, but also um, they presented investing um, in, in a different way as well. So I think there is a real opportunity to give customers more information around the different services that are available, but also connecting all the dots, You know, saying saving is good in this area, but actually investing might be uh, the right thing for you um, if you're looking towards the longer term. So they've got more information to be able to make the money work harder. Yeah, I mean, um, Jason, obviously you talked about, you know, we have done hundreds, maybe even like thousands of interviews over like the multiple years of doing our work at Loan Affairs. I suppose we are in a, in you think just like the here and now, like we're in a particularly challenging economic time. You know, what changes uh, are you seeing to kind of those traditional money management strategies or how people are behaving with their money at this point in time, obviously, Rajan alluded to the the impact of of investing behaviours and things like that during the COVID pandemic. But what are you seeing more generally? Well, it's just a, a broad range of responses. Some people are amazingly great at managing their money. Maybe two to five percent of the population are just uh, crazy anal at, at managing every possible transaction. Pivot charts, tables, Excel spreadsheets, you name it, they're on it. And they're uh, opening new accounts to get the teaser rate, creating rotating direct debits, like they're all over it. The majority of us are not like that. There's a sort of, there's a mid part of the population that probably do enough to get through And as the cost of living crisis continues and as the utility bills spiral and grocery uh, and food inflation comes into play, then people are getting squeezed and they're starting to really have to say, well, where is my money going and and how can I use it? And then there's also a 
reasonably sizable proportion of people who are just atrocious at managing their money and basically run out halfway through the month or into credit cards or into overdrafts. And, you know, when they get the red letter, then there's uh, they'll do something about it. But I don't actually think it's about information. I think there's a behavior, there's a psychology, there's a lot around, as you know, Kate, or with all the interviews you, you do. Um, there's something more than actually giving the people education because it's all out there. I mean, if you really want to know how to manage your money, there's more than enough information, guidance, bo- uh, textbooks, books, YouTube videos, TikTok on how to do it. But still, most people aren't, aren't doing it very effectively. So maybe I could just add to that because I think, you know, probably actually we've got an audience um, that has a skew to a real interest in managing money, but also just kind of in fintech and banking solutions. And so we might be kind of talking a little bit to an echo chamber, but that doesn't represent like kind of um, the majority of people. When when I was in New Zealand, we like uh, Bank of New Zealand had this kind of mission around helping customers be good with money. And and the insights behind that was that 86% of Kiwis thought, being good with money was important, so I'm not sure about the other 14%. But 94% of Kiwis didn't think they were good with money, and I suppose that's a a bit of a damning indictment to if that's what your bank is there to do, is to help you manage your money, and, and so many people feel they're not able to achieve that. But I think part of that is it's not that they're necessarily bad at managing their money, but they, everyone thinks that they could do better. We don't have that um, context to how well you're doing. Obviously, you know, 94% of people aren't bad. They, they just could improve improve what they're doing. I think part of it, it also comes down to apathy. A lot of people think that improving their financial situation is going to take a massive amount of effort, and actually the outcome isn't going to be that significant. And for many people, actually the reverse is true. And actually, a little bit of effort can lead to profound improvements in your financial situation. Just some basic budget management can help you increase your focus on what is most important to you. I think banking solutions actually still continue to make that make that quite hard. And that's something that we've kind of got to try and improve, I think, as we move forward. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. I'm always amazed like when when we do, we, you know, we tend to do our research at LearnFest like one-to-one, like because obviously like, finance is hugely personal and you know we spend maybe like an hour with somebody like just really trying one pick like the <laughs> in most instances like the chaos of their financial lives and I'm always amazed like at pretty much the end of every single conversation that I have with someone people ask me like like, am I doing okay? Like, do other people do this like me? You know, as, um, am I alone? Like, am I doing, you know, am I making mistakes? Um, there's this kind of like this profound residual anxiety, I think, in in the population, as, as you alluded to, Stephen. So. so if I could just add on this, I think um, th- those are really good points there because where, where Plum come at it is, you know, there there is that desire for everyone, right, to do better with their money as um, we, we were just hearing, but people just don't know where to start or they don't have the time to, to, to manage the money. You know, there's, you know, there's so many things for, you know, particularly your family and kids, you know, finding the time to, to manage your money can be really tough. And I think where, where Plum come at it and I'm sure other, other fintechs are thinking similarly is not necessarily going, okay, it is more about providing more education, providing more information, which is useful. Um, but what's important is actually using tools as technology is developing to make it easier for people to manage their finances. And that's why, you know, we use automation um, and AI to make it easier for people to set up saving rules and 
put money aside. And a lot of our customers will tell us, look, um, I never thought I could save or I could never thought I could save that much. It was really hard. But when um, I, I started using your app, I found I could find I was saving a lot more and it wasn't affecting my daily spending in any you know significant way. So I think there's a lot of tools now available to financial services to make it a lot easier for people to take advantage of the different financial um, options that are, that are available to them. And you're absolutely right. I think it is a, a behavioral change and, 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 you know, companies have a key role in, in helping people to make the most of their money. But I guess that's a, you know, that's a great point you bring up the, how you're talking about it, that what you're thinking about is really about improving the end customer's financial situation. But, but there's a lot of executives at a bank who would say, that's not our job. Our job is to keep your money safe, to move it when you want it moved, to tell you where it is, to give you a good interest rate. You know, we, we sell financial products that use maturity transformation and traditional sort of banking mechanics to do great things for people. But we don't do all of that work. Like we have branches and staff and people who create and sell these products that are vital utilities. Uh, and, and that's the difference. I think, you know, we, we often talk about this move that digital is really driving a move from commodity dumb products to intelligent services because not only can it deliver cost savings for banks, but actually it can deliver 10 times better service. But that's a very different operating model. It's a very different reason to be, I guess, than than the traditional bank approach. Uh, and that's you know also added to by the fact that if you don't manage your money well, actually banks do pretty well out of it, whether because they make their money by lending by and large. And and if you suddenly need to borrow, then you know there's always that rub that that customers, clients who who aren't great with their money can be profitable in some ways. Hello, overdrafts. Yeah, no, absolutely. Okay, well, we've, we've done a good, I think, deep dive into, I suppose, some of the, the status quo and kind of where the challenges and pain points are. I'd love to kind of get your, your perspectives on what we think the opportunities and potential challenges of this more intuitive financial services model could could look like. So, Jason, we talk a lot at LemonFest about intuitive financial services. You know, what do we mean? How does this look in practice? Again, there are two, probably a couple of ways looking at this. One is... How did your gran and granddad like manage their money? Like way back in the day, granddad comes home with a pay packet. You know, he's got the gas bill to pay and the kids to feed and all of that kind of stuff. Like, how did they do it without spreadsheets and notebooks and everything else? And so people thought about it in different ways. You know, there was a lot of envelope budgeting. You get the little set of envelopes out and put some money aside for different things. Granddad gets his pocket money so he can go, can go off down the pub. I'm painting some really bizarre, like, northern, I don't know, um, 1950s pastiche <laughs> here. But, but bear with me, bear with me. So, but people have been doing this for a super long time. And they come up with and reinvent, if you like, the same kind of mechanics and ways of doing things. Now, fast forward a, a few hundred years, by granddad, and um, enter Richard Thaler, you know, behavioral economist. Behavioral economics always fascinates me because it was basically the failure of economics that led them to look to psychology. And so then you say, well, he, you know, he gets a Nobel Prize, he comes up with mental accounting, which is really just a way of talking about granddad and grandma's envelope budgeting and the biases that we have. So, so I think what we're talking about here is whether you're talking about Richard Thaler's behavioral economics, whether you're talking about envelope budgeting, 50, 30, 20, you know, zero cash budgeting, whatever the, the method is, people have these ways that it makes it simpler for them to think about and act on their finances. And those approaches are not mirrored in the, 
in the financial products that they have to use day to day. Stephen, how, how do you approach that kind of more intuitive model in a traditional banking setting? Well, being from Nationwide, I think I have to mention the first thing you do is you put a card reader in front of whatever transaction that you're trying to make. Like, I couldn't come on this podcast and not <laughs> make mention of that. Look, um, I would like to reassure to any listeners that this is our number one priority to uh, remove from our kind of intuitive experience. So we are making huge progress on that and hopefully we'll have some uh, solutions out in the market pretty quickly. I think more generally, the challenge is that big banks have is the way we think about banking is a reflection of our kind of system thinking and we almost have just kind of digitized the ledger system and put an accounting like front end and that's what it looks like it just looks like an account and debits and credits in there and and hence it's all about the way that we think about money replicated online that's not the way that customers think about money they think about it around the purposes that they have for their money and I suppose what online banking therefore often becomes is taking a set of products or transactions and shoehorning them into the interface rather than kind of an outside in thinking, which is like how are customers thinking about their money and then how can you reverse engineer all the way back through the backend systems and processes and policies that actually you build products that elevate the experience that customers are thinking about. Yeah, absolutely. Um Roger, and I suppose you, you talked earlier about how you think you know, some of the reasons why fintechs have been successful today has been because they've not necessarily been constrained in that way. I suppose, do you think, you know, from your perspective at Plum, like should financial services be looking to shape and change consumer behaviour or should they be being shaped by consumer behaviour? I think we've got to start with where consumers are at. And I think that's a error that a number of financial services organisations make, you know, and going back to the discussion earlier i think there's this idea that people can be educated into all of a sudden being able to make the right financial decisions and you know going to the point that jason making around behavioral economics you know that it, it, that isn't the case you know um and, and people will make choices that may seem on the surface you know not completely uh, logical uh, to, to their own interests so i think starting where the customer is at and using those insights from um, behavioral economics important and I think we've seen how successful that's been with, with what's happened with pensions and the change there through to ensuring that people um, are opted in and, and they start off with a particular percentage that their company provide and, and they make a particular um, contribution as well and that's helped to grow a culture of um, you know pension saving and more and more people um, are likely to have a, a more stable uh, retirement as a result so I think starting with where customers are is absolutely key. And then once you do that, then I think there is the opportunity to then work with them to take them into different directions that are suitable um, for their own circumstances. So, you know, they can grow their financial resilience and and, and truly reach their, their potential um, with their finances. So I think there is that evolution that, that comes um, with working and, and, and being customers of um, some of these forward thinking um, financial apps, but ultimately it's got to start with where the customer's at. Jason, obviously a key part of this, if we're moving from, if we were to move to this more intuitive financial system away from kind of that more product or instrument-led approach, it's, it's going to require change from organisations, but it's also going to require change from, from consumers as well, right? Um, and we know how difficult it is to motivate consumers to change. So what do you think would be the kind of the key challenges of of 
moving customers over to these kinds of services, even if they did exist. Well, I think the danger is that you say, look, we've got this this amazing financial system with all of these accounts and things set up and budgetary tools. And you take one look at it and, you know, to Stephen's point, you just think, well, there's no way I'm going to, I'm not going to, I can't find the time or maybe I'll do it next Wednesday and just never get around to it. So there is something about, you know, behavioral change being about low friction, small steps, you know, People, people have fallen out of love with gamification, but it really is a, a sort of behavioral change aspect to it, um, which is that you, you ask for small steps to create rewarding outcomes for consumers. You know, to Rajan's point, you know, suddenly we say to you, hey, Rajan, thanks for logging into the bank. Look, if you, um, the most successful people managing their personal finances save 10% of their salary, click on the button and we'll open you a savings account. We're going to put 10% aside, just like your pension. You won't know it's there. You can always access it. Or, or actually, I would argue that the, the early success of Monzo in, in its growth was really due to the fact that it's allowed people to separate out discretionary funds from their bills money. So, you know, we're, uh, suddenly it, people would get their salary and load up their Monzo or Revolut or Starling, you know, or one of those Challenger Bank cards, be able to see and track and know that they weren't spending their rent or their utility bills or whatever they were putting aside. So I think the changes that we're talking about are not amazingly sophisticated. Just small behavioral changes can be threaded together to make big outcomes. And and it's also not something we're inventing here either, because when you actually go out and talk to people, they'll tell you, they'll draw out like how their money flows and how they've managed to kind of make it work for them if they're at all functional in how they go. So I think that I think that's really the key that it has to be small steps, it has to come with rewards, and it has to build into something that's not so complicated. Because really, I'm not going to sit there and categorize every transaction into one of 15 categories to work out that I spend 7.5% of my income on transport. Are you not? Oh, that's very, very lazy. Geez. Um, I guess right now, you guys, you know, we've, we've got different perspectives in the room of, I suppose, you Stephen, nationwide, like a, a bank that's got kind of all these services from and is just kind of working out how to kind of bring those together peacefully versus fintechs that, you know, are starting normally in one space and then adding extra products as you go. You know, how do you how do you kind of manage that consumer behavior change when you launch something new? How do you encourage people to to try out your new products and features in a way that kind of makes sense? So I think from the very start, Plum's ambition is always being to help people holistically with their finances. So, you know, began as a, you know, chatbot helping people with their savings and then evolved into helping them with their investments and then became a fully fledged app, um, supporting them with savings, budgeting, investing and, and managing their spending. Because I think it's, it's a challenge for people to compartmentalize into different aspects of, of, of their finance and helping them manage their money in one place is, is, is really important. And, and that's what um, our app's been um, able to do. And I think it ultimately goes towards just making those links between those different um, areas. Um, you know, people might potentially start with saving and, and putting some money aside, which is a really good start because that's helping them build that emergency fund and helping them build their financial resilience, which is, you know, very, very important in the, in the current climate with, with, with cost of living uh, challenges. And then when they've got that emergency fund and they've built that resilience, then they may want to consider looking at investing and, and helping the extra money they have, um, you know, once they've settled their debt and they've got that emergency money aside, they can then consider um, looking at investing um, to, to, to grow their money over the long term. And also they're 
circumstances may change. You know, if they become a parent, they'll be wanting to think about saving and investing for their children. So it, it's very much around working intuitively with the customer and seeing how their circumstances are changing, what they're able to do in terms of their personal um, finances and offering solutions as those um, circumstances or as their financial position uh, changes. One thing I think financial um, or fintechs or, or more general financial services companies need to be wary of is just that danger of overawing people with too much um, information and then they become intimidated. And I think you might, if we take like a, a smaller example of it, a, a more targeted example is probably with some of the investment platforms where if someone is new to investing, they're almost presented with this, you know, gazillion choices of, of different funds and stocks to invest in. And they go, okay, I don't know where to start. Um, I was already concerned about investing. It's too much risk. This is too indemnitating. I'm out. And I think where financial services have got the opportunity now is, yes, there is more that they can offer and do more things, but presenting it in, at the right time in the right way is arguably even more important. Absolutely. Okay, we're just going to take a quick pause here. We'll be back very shortly. A lot of you know 11FS for our chart-topping podcasts, our events, videos, reports, and a bunch of other cool stuff that we do. But what a lot of you don't know is that this is just all our side hustle. We do so much more than that. At 11FS Ventures, we're partnering with ambitious businesses around the world to design, build, and launch truly digital financial services. We are building banks, shaping new propositions, and growing existing offerings that change the fabric of financial services. And our design, research, strategy, strategy and engineering experts are working to improve your customer's relationship with money. To find out a little bit more, check us out at 11fs.com forward slash ventures. Okay, having looked at what we mean by intuitive financial services, let's have a look at what we think the future might hold. In a perfect world, Jason, you know, with all the regulation, technology falling into place, come on, we can we can go wild here. Like what does a world-class intuitive financial services product look like? I think the North Star is that it's private banking for the mass market. It's a family office for the mass market. It's basically the kind of thing that you would expect if you had a gazillion pounds and you had a team of people looking after you. Uh, it just separates out your money in the way that you think about it. It lets you know where you are all the time and it helps you actually make the right decisions both day-to-day, month-to-month and then more broadly, year to year, decade to decade, you know, leaving stuff for your kids. Um, but it just builds it up um, like a, a nice warm cocoon that's just shaping you away like uh, some Swiss private banker in your pocket. Stephen, what, what was the dream in your head? Yeah, I mean, I think technology's obviously got a really important part to play in this journey. And so I think your mobile phone eventually will become you know, a financial concierge in your pocket looking after your finances 24-7 looking after every single permutation and giving you insights into how you can optimise things, making sure that you're kind of you're catching your blind spots and really almost elevating everyone to a private having a private banker status. But I also think there's some just some really simple things um, that we can do going forward. I mean, one of the exercises uh, myself and the team did when we were in New Zealand, we we asked customers to draw their money. And when you ask customers to do that. It's quite interesting. They, they first they they look at you somewhat puzzled and wonder what you're talking about, but they give it a go, and you start to see a number of trends kind of emerge. And what they do is that they'll draw. They don't draw a bank account. They certainly don't draw digital banking. 
what they do is they'll draw a, a number of pots, like squares, circles, and those represent sort of objectives that they have in their lives. And I think that's not just kind of savings goals. It's like all sorts of different purposes and like specific to individuals. But then around that, they'll draw people, friends, family, work. They might draw the bank, places they go shopping. That kind of represents a financial network that they operate in. And then across that, they'll draw flows of money or like arrows, and those represent flows of money. And I think what we need to try and do is not just kind of bring to life products online, but actually experiences online, those mental maps that people have of their money that can be personalized to whatever the, that situation that they they have and they find important. And then we can put like experiences on top of that. One of the things that Nationwide have done previously, which was really successful, is like payday, save day, which is like, so make sure you pay yourself first. So like a savings account is important, but an interest rate, all it does is it's a tailwind to you hitting your goals. The only way you're going to hit your goals is by saving a greater proportion of your income to whatever is important to you. So if you can do that first, then you're more likely to do the things that are more important to you. And so I think it's bringing that combination of really seamless structure and quite advanced technology to the mass market. Absolutely. Rajan, I suppose if we manage to move to a future with these kinds of more intuitive systems, you know, what are some of the kind of bigger societal issues that you think you know you'd love to see plum tackling or other other people in the industry tackling you know is it debt access to credit people just being in the system full stop like what what are the kind of biggest issues that you guys would would like to play a part in solving yeah there's huge i think potential um there i think uh beginning with one more directly uh, related to plum is is around investing you know we really want to help people um, make their money work harder over the long term and you know the fca describes long term at least um, at least five years. Um, so we want people to be looking at investing with that, at least that time horizon in mind. And I think what we're seeing is people looking at investing as, as, as a potential way to um, make their savings, you know, work harder. So at the moment, what, with what's going on in, in, in um, various countries with interest rates, you know, the Bank of England recently raised their rates um, to 5%, yet they're finding um, with a number of high street banks, those rates haven't similarly gone up. You know, they, they remained for some, for some easy access um, accounts at, you know, 1%, 1.5%. And in you could argue in an indirect way, that's actually potentially contributing to not reducing um, the rate of inflation because having um, a lower um, interest rate on savings might encourage people to be spending more. So, you know, we've seen a number of fintechs being very competitive in terms of um, interest rate offerings, but also in, being innovative in this space. You know, we're seeing, like I said, with investing, the popularity of money market funds in particular um, in the US with what's happened um, with some of the um, banking turmoil there. And and that offering people the opportunity to earn a return that's you know far more sensitive um, to the Bank of England rate, and and we're seeing organisations um, like us and, and others exploring that and and helping people um, to get a um, higher return in in a, in a low risk way and, and and finding one that's much closer to to the Bank of England rate. So I think there's one which is around investing and showing kind of the the the, the potential um, that's there, but more generally. Around, um, beyond helping people to make their um, money work harder, I think financial inclusion um, is a big one um, in, in how the innovations that we're seeing um, could really help 
helping people to connect um, digitally and making it far more easy and removing uh, that friction um, is absolutely key. But also on, on, on credit building um, as well, I think Jason mentioned earlier this opportunity to categorize um, different transactions. And actually some of those transactions may be decent predictors about how credit worthy someone is. And we've seen institutions now beginning to look at that data and saying, okay, let's find a way of using open banking, using that analysis and saying, right, because you're spending um, more in X, Y, Z, rather than using the traditional methods of working out someone's credit worthiness, we could add these new technologies in to help people access credit and, and, and show and improve their credit rating as well. So I think with the increased information that's out there and new technology and particularly I think um, with AI um, that's another um, big opportunity in terms of uh, access to credit. Yeah I suppose we couldn't we couldn't go through the episode about I suppose touching on AI. Jason like how much of this future system is dependent on AI being leveraged in in the right ways? I, I Well I think as Stephen pointed out there's a lot we can do now. I mean there's massive changes that we could make to the the financial well-being of the country, the world, through relatively simple approaches and and using behavioural science in order to help people do better. Of course, AI is great at decision making. You know, you only have to play with ChatGPT for a while to to see that. Obviously, it could be that Swiss private banker looking at uh, where to put your money and and how to manage it. But do we need that in order to make it work? No. Will there be people training models on on uh, personal finance? Yeah, I I think Nude uh, just launched something today with Copilot. I think you were mentioning that is it well simple? Um, do something very similar. It's not going to be long before you know you rather than having than going to a um, financial advisor that you could ask. ChatGPT, what you should be doing different and how to manage that. You know, here's my bank statement. How should I do that? Now, of course, from a regulatory perspective, that's a nightmare. And uh, and we get into the sort of advice guidance and how does that apply to uh, to large language models? Um, but it, 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 it may lead to uh, some significant changes in the future, but there's a lot we can do now. I think one of the things that we've got to be um, quite careful of with AI is that we don't kind of actually exact exacerbate the kind of gap between the haves and have-nots, the people who are kind of really willing to adopt this technology and help have AI advise them on their finances are probably going to do better. But when I kind of think of, you know, even just say my parents and trying to persuade them to use mobile banking, which I do consistently, um, like, you know, how willing are they going to be to have an app that then kind of makes all sorts of financial advice um, for them and, them getting comfortable with that but if they don't their ability to kind of make their money work as hard as it can do is like it's, it's just not realistic and so actually i think we have to work, find ways of making ai accessible for everyone not just kind of the people who are tech literate and more comfortable with it yeah absolutely okay um we're sadly i could chat about this all day but we're sadly getting towards the tail end of the show so i suppose just wanted to bring it back to the question that we asked Right at the right at the top of the show, really, Rajan. Can financial services change how people think about money? Yeah, definitely. I think, uh, and that opportunity, I think, is, is is growing even more with how we're seeing technology evolving, and, and particularly with the potential of AI. Stephen, what do you reckon? I think we can, and I think it's important that they do. But I think probably even more important is that banks, building societies, and fintechs are really thinking about the customers and actually making sure that their products and services reflect 
the way that customers think about their money, not just the way that we kind of process it on an accounting ledger. And Jason, I'll give you, give you the last shout. What do you reckon? I think they have to. The question is, who in that market will do it? Does it have to be banks or can it be a variety of service providers that layer on top through open banking, open finance? Because delivering these intelligent, intuitive services is very different, a very different business from managing, creating, distributing financial products. So the question is, you know, will banks step up to that plate or not? That's the question. Yeah, for sure. Okay, that wraps up today's discussion. Thank you so much for joining us. Where can people find out more about you and your companies? Um, Jason, you can go first. You can find me on LinkedIn, Jason Bates. Awesome. Rajan? So you can find out more about Plum at withplum.com uh, and you can find us in the App Store and Android Play Store as well. Awesome. And Stephen, what about you? Yeah, same. I'm on LinkedIn. So um, yeah, but not great at checking my DMs. Oh no, that's not going to be grateful. These fintechs are going to be spamming you, dear Jerry. Okay. Uh, and you can find me on LinkedIn as well, Kate Moody, or you can drop me an email at kate.loanfest.com. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you've heard, follow our podcast and don't forget to leave us a review. It helps us to make it better and it helps others to find the show. As always, if you want to join the conversation, find us on social media, just search for 11FS or Fintech Insider or email podcasts at 11FS.com. Thanks very much. Goodbye.